0: and we're live right (laughs) pale male and stale these are the words usually leveled at brexiteers my two guests i have here uh two you can definitely not accuse them of being like that whatsoever uh that is the lovely alice grant and beatrice grant how you doing guys
1: thank you for having us on your kid stream
0: awesome And obviously, I can't go without introducing Sebastian. So Sebastian Cheek, uh, a fellow YI member, the youth wing of UKIP, and also our treasurer. How are you doing? Am I I stale by implication? Because you only said two. Well, you know, what do you think, guys? Is he stale? Well, well, it's funny. (laughs) On the the last stream,
2: um, Richard was asking how old I was. And I said, guess. Um, And then I said I was 21 and he goes life hasn't been kind to you <laughs> i was so <laughs> insulted i really was but it's quite funny to be fair so i let him off
1: i think all of us challenge the stereotypes mm-hmm. that people into politics are usually old which is great mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> no i think that's a really good observation i think for a number of reasons um, like the amount of half the pieces which involve the two of you are look what they're doing isn't it wonderful and then the half the other half is what are they doing why would two lovely ladies be
0: wasting their time how dare they you know <laughs>
3: um,
0: well, well just to set some context actually so uh, me and sebastian met you two i think it was about a couple of weeks ago at a little do that um sargon put together and um i thought it was quite interesting um i think you said beatrice you were actually the first one uh who sort of really caught on to politics in a big way and, and that- yeah, I thought, and that's Isn't quite it? interesting because you're you're the younger one as well, right?
4: Yeah, I am, I'm
1: 15.
0: 15, yeah, and um, Alice, you're 17, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so... No, you, I was writing large paragraphs on Facebook, um, and I still had Facebook, yeah. about... Really? Is, um, so, so
0: do you want to tell us a bit about that, Beatrice, how you sort of became involved in politics or politically aware?
1: Well, I really just started with talking to people my age about Brexit and why it's in the best interest for our country. Mm -hmm. And um, then I just started getting more into politics and then Alice took politics for A-level. So we both Mm -hmm. had that in interest. Yeah, we started going going to leave rallies um, with Nigel and hearing him speak in person. And also we found videos on YouTube of him speaking Mm -hmm. to the European Parliament. (laughs) He was so brave and so incredible and courageous and standing up for our nation when everyone else was just laughing and being so rude, yeah. and I think that's when we realised that it's imperative we leave the EU and pursue a prosperous future.
0: Absolutely. So how long ago? A... Oh, sorry, how, go long ahead. Ago, how long ago would that have been where you first sort of started uh, getting interested?
1: I think it, it was around last year. Um, yeah. So quite recently, and then we started going outside Parliament protesting, and we met lots of amazing people there.
2: And Beatrice, you you said um, you started by sort of talking to people uh, your age about their views on Brexit. That was, I guess, you could say, before you were politically active. What was the yeah. sort of uh, what was the sort of average opinion that you were getting? Was it excessively <laughs> pro-EU, as as I imagine it would be, or I mean, give us a flavour.
1: Actually, a year ago, more of the people my age were Remain, and now they're a lot more open to Brexit. Really, because when I used to talk to people, they were. Very remain, very yeah. remain. That was a lot quite of stubborn, yeah. You. But actually, now talking to people my age, they, I think they do see mm. that, you know. Yeah, I think they, they realise that everything. it's, it's, you know, Brexit is not what's in crisis. It's actually democracy, mm-hmm, exactly. And more people are starting to think, you know, I don't agree with the vote, but we voted to leave yeah. as a nation, and it hasn't happened yet.
4: Mm.
1: So there's something wrong.
2: Well, what do you think is like the next way out of it? Because you've got a million choices. You've got revoke the whole thing. You've got second referendum. You've got no deal. You've got some sort of a deal. What do you sort of see naturally happening next?
1: Well, we both think that we should leave October 31st without a deal. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Yeah. And we need someone with courage and conviction Mm -hmm. to lead our nation, which at the moment is is not...
0: <laughs> so, how did you first start getting involved with the Brexit Party?
1: Well, it sort of just gradually happened. Um, yeah, we, we met, just attended lots of rallies. Yeah, and, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: And you sort of said, um, you, you sort of said. Um, Sorry, I think Damien's mum's asking him to tidy Uh, his room or something. This is rather embarrassing. Um, uh, One thing I wanted to sort of segue and lead on to is you are talking about the direction the country's going forward. Obviously, what we have to talk about in the sort of week's news would be the Tory leadership election. Um, So who are you sort of leaning towards? Where do you see yourself? If you were a Tory, which I can't imagine you are, either of you, uh, who would you be voting for?
1: Obviously, obviously, since the 29th of March, no Mm. way... so it's become so apparent that the Conservative Party are hardly conservative and they've basically betrayed all of their voters who are true Conservatives and true conservatism is about national identity, which has been abandoned by the Conservative Party. Mm. And also historically, um, the people who are most conservative are the last which also have been betrayed by the Tory party.
2: Absolutely. So, who do you think sort of naturally should, uh, of the, I think it's seven left, it must be seven, but no, but Hancock just pulled out, so it's six. Of the six that are still in the race, who excites you the most? Is it Rory Stewart? <laughs> is it Boris Johnson? I mean, what, what do you lean towards
1: at the moment? Well, I think the next Prime Minister is going to be Boris Johnson, so we have to sort of get behind him. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I don't really trust any of them, definitely not um, Jeremy Hunt or. <laughs> David or Rory Stewart and if it's between Rob and Johnson well I guess because Johnson's more popular it's probably going to be him.
2: Okay but that's who it probably will be who would you like it to be?
1: Hmm. Well I really I would have loved if Mark Francois, Steve Baker, Owen Paterson or Pretty Patel or Andrea Jenkins stood for um, Tory leadership candidate but they didn't.
0: Do you not um, like um Dominic Rob?
1: Uh-huh. Um, well, he was, he did, you know, an honourable yeah. thing by um, resigning yes. from Brexit negotiator to exactly. May's WA. But yeah, but then he voted for her withdrawal agreement. So really, I can't, we can't really trust somebody who doesn't stand, you know, stand strong for, you know, their convictions. Everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something you see quite a bit in the in the Tory party. I mean, the principles matter. And if, if you can afford to stand on principle, then do. But at the end of the day, it's the party, the party, the party. And you've seen this for decades now in the Tory party, it's survival of the party, basically mm-hmm. screw the country. If you look at um, how we got in this mess in the first place with the 92 Maastricht Treaty, I think it was yeah. well, who's, who's the chap I'm thinking, the thinking
1: of, the moment we entered the common market. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was that was a complete that was a lie that was deceit mm. telling okay. everyone we were in a common market whilst they all knew that this was about political integration. Yeah, and I think people started to realise the loss of sovereignty. Um, yes, as you say, with the Maastricht Treaty, when suddenly we had a wave of mass immigration, and I think that's when people started to realise that we had no power to change that. It doesn't matter how much they complain and how much politicians promise. Mm. We have no power within the European Union mm. uh, I think that's why leaving the most important decision or the most important reason why we want to leave is that we can take, we can become masters of our own destiny and take back control of our mm. future
2: See, a lot of countries have natural uh, barriers that stop their own constitution being changed. So, for example, Ireland, if their constitution gets changed, there has to be a referendum. A lot of countries don't. That's why Ireland, I believe, or maybe it was the Netherlands, got a vote on the Maastricht Treaty. Uh, and I think they voted against it. Uh, Daniel votes Hannan. Votes say it against it.
1: Um, votes are always ignored with the EU. Well, there
2: you go. Exactly. I mean, um, the amount of votes which have been either completely yeah. ignored. Sorry?
1: Yeah happening to us right
2: now well, exactly yeah um we as i country, love that teacup by the way that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> we as a country have never voted on the political aspect we voted on the common market and yes i do think that was dubious because it was always going to be a political union but when it became a political union in 92 we never had a vote on that and we didn't have a vote on it for what 20 24 years and so finally we awesome. get it and the amount of sovereignty we gave up. I mean, the, the, the point about parliamentary democracy is the powers are not given to the MPs. They're leased. And when the MPs' job is done, they give it back.
1: Sovereignty of this country ultimately rests with us, the people. And our MPs, our elected representatives, are supposed to keep that and protect it, not give it away to some supranational organisation who don't believe in democracy. And almost everything they do goes against our British values and our constitution. And, well, you know, East... courts they don't understand our social fabric Um, they don't understand our nation they honestly it's quite shocking
0: yeah this is something you talk about um, it's actually in your bio on your Twitter where how we're a country of different cultures and languages and things like that and how we can't just be this homogenous block Uh, and that's very much like what I think basically why You know, each of these countries are so different. You can't just mash them all together and expect them to work. Greece's economy is obviously so different to Mm. Germany's economy. Um, Ultimately,
1: globalist aim is to destroy culture and to destroy diversity. They are the ones who don't believe in diversity. We are the ones who enjoy other cultures and we think other cultures are great. You know, it makes life so much more interesting.
4: Mm.
1: And we believe that our culture should be protected as everyone else's. Hmm. But that's not what the globalists believe. <laughs> hmm.
2: And smashing all the different cultures to create one monoculture is ridiculous. Hmm. I mean, you don't go on holiday to France and eat all your meals at McDonald's, do you? You go to the local uh, cuisine, you go to the boulangerie, you, you do this, you enjoy yourself, you know? You don't just have the same thing everywhere you go because. Why, why? go anywhere? You know, and that's what I think the, the the aim of a lot of globalism is. It's to create a completely homogenous block across the world, mm. and I think by the time that the majority of people realise that, it could be too late. So that's why I think uh, mm. the sort of resurgence that you're seeing within Europe of parties mm. saying, "Look, we need to stand up for our national identity," I think it you know couldn't come soon enough.
4: That's mm.
1: so true. Um, that's why yeah, the backlash against this this takeover of the European countries that the EU have ma- has mounted, you know, can be seen all over across Europe because people are so angry that they've been lied to and that, you know, the truth is with this mass immigration and everything, their, cul- their culture and their um, national identity has been eroded by the EU. Mm. So I completely understand the anger. It's the same thing here. 2016 was a populist revolution. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. um god we're gonna have to find some things we disagree on here aren't we (laughs) (laughs) well i mean the obvious one is uh both of you are very attached to the
2: brexit party and i i guess you can imagine that me and damien are quite attached to Mm UKIP at the moment um where, where do you see the distinction obviously at the end of the day with a lot of things or rather with the main thing we are allies we both want brexit at the end of the day that's what we care about and we may disagree with people joining and leaving. We may disagree with some of the um, other policies, but the main thing is we need to leave the EU. So why for you, um, I don't know if you're subscribers of the Brexit party, but but why do you air towards that than, than UKIP at the moment?
1: Well, I think at the moment, Nigel's Brexit party is what's going to allow us, is what's going to put pressure on parliament to deliver Brexit because it's such a huge threat to you know the status quo with these two main parties who basically serve nothing but themselves. And um, yeah, we really believe in Nigel as well. He's such an amazing politician, and he's really devoted his life to this cause 20 years ago. Um, you know he had a stable job, and he gave all that up mm. to pursue you know what was then fringe politics, which was the EU, and the European question. So he's a man of integrity, and you know if anything, what he's done has shown that so.
0: Well, I would just like to make a quick comment there, actually, because. um, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, because I I get questions about, um, you know, why have UKIP, you know, we didn't perform very well in the European elections, obviously. Uh, What's been, you know, uh, our uh, lessening in popularity? And I would say that is entirely Nigel Farage. Um, Whether you like Mm -hmm. it or not, Nigel Farage is the face of Brexit. Um, And people are always going to look to a leader and someone who's strong like him. Um, as someone to guide them, and so it's no surprise to me that the Brexit Party have done so fantastically well. Um, it's mostly down to Nigel, in my opinion. Uh, would you echo that yourselves?
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. He's an excellent um, speaker, and he really inspires passion. He's what inspired me at first. So,
0: and the mem- the men- the the momentum <laughs> is really with you guys at the moment. That's for sure. Um, yeah. You didn't quite get that Peter Brassey, but you were awfully close to getting it. And the amount of votes she took uh, in that election was actually astonishing for such a young party.
1: So so proud of everyone who supported, and um, the Brexit Party and Mike Green as well. He's such an amazing candidate, and it's a real shame, especially since since then, Lisa Forbes um, hasn't been.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, we know what you're trying to say, Damien. I mean, it's very (laughs) interesting what you say because. I think it came out today or maybe yesterday that there are five different uh, investigations going on to the the Peterborough election count. there are five different cases of suspected fraud which I mean one is enough to have an outrage I mean five is ridiculous I mean you must have seen the photo going around online a convicted electoral fraudster was at the count celebrating with the Labour party and you, you I mean this is a clown world isn't it I mean it's ridiculous
1: oh,
2: Yeah
4: absolutely
1: yeah. I think you know at first I was sort of I was accepting of the result but now I'm starting to think that there could have been fraudulent connectivity and if so we need to investigate mm. it mm. because it does seem quite odd Brexit party we, we were doing so well the the public you know was so we I remember uh, um, yeah. giving out leaflets so many people were yeah. showing their support for the Brexit party yeah the response yeah. was amazing mm.
0: so. well I actually remember when when Nigel Farage was in UKIP and he stood for Parliament. Um, there was actually proven fraud uh, against um, Nigel Farage by the conserv uh, by the Conservatives who basically used funds which they weren't really supposed to use, extra funds to be able to support their campaign. I think they were bussing in um, uh, Conservatives from around the country just to really attack Farage as much as possible.
1: Um, but there were. How, Sorry, um, no. You go on. Did you hear about those billboards um, that have overspent an incredible amount of money, and they were the ones that were basically targeting um, Farage and, and No, it was when that?
0: Farage was uh, in UKIP.
1: No, it was those. Uh, that was it. Was really recently there were these tweets that um, did Did you see them?
2: These
1: no, no. Them. What were they? Yeah. Um, I think the Twitter is led by donkeys. It's just. <laughs> And um, and yeah, basically, they spent hundreds of thousands of pounds in a campaign to specifically attack Farage and other leading Brexiteers. Yeah, they they actually stalked our (laughs) march as well with their billboards.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: That's dodgy. See, I, I like the idea of the Brexit party and I thought it was absolutely fundamental that the... Uh, the leave force had a a voice in the European elections, because if you kept kept going the way it was going, where it was only getting 10% of the polls, that was not going to be enough. You needed somebody who was charismatic, somebody who could get the message out, and who's done this a million times. And that person was Nigel Farage. And so to be honest, thank you for doing that. Because when you woke up on the, well, a few days after, and you got the results from the European elections, it basically said Brexit won. And that's what we needed. That, that's what we needed. The, the problem,
1: Brexit. say it again, sorry, I said an undisputable win for the Brexit party. Absolutely,
2: the... absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, so uh, this is what I said to you both actually in, in Richmond. I got into the party purely because I didn't like the way my country was going. I didn't have any necessarily allegiance to to UKIP or whatever. And I guess I do now. But I'll say this, and this is where I i mentioned it earlier with the, the Tory party, and their, their cold allegiance to the survival of their party. I honestly don't mind if UKIP was completely destroyed and never heard of again, so long as the things that I care passionately about were upheld. If we got our sovereignty back, if we left the EU, if we had a fairer tax system, uh, if we took care of our people, if we rebuilt our military, if we took care of our veterans, if we did all these things- I And cut down about, immigration. And and uh, of course, yeah, cut it down to reasonable levels, then. Yeah. Exactly, but so many Tories I find, and I've I've said this before to you, so this will be repetition. Um, so many Tories I find, it's great if they get their policies in, and that's that's a bonus and a cherry on top. But the main thing is their party stays in, and that's where the country yeah. comes country. below country.
0: power. Exactly. So why and, and has foreign. this? Why has there been this uh, vacuum of um, morals in the Conservative Party? Do you think, Sebastian? Well. When, it, it's, it's ruthless ambition, when
2: you have one aim, which is to stay in power, and when you're in a, a game which is as dirty as politics is, and it can be, and you only have to look to America to see how dirty politics can get. When you have that situation where what's on the line is your ability to control the country for five years. Mm-hmm. When you have that on the line, you're willing to do anything. You will do whatever it takes to get that position. And that's where they're willing to put aside their morals for a bit. And, and I'm not saying they're completely you know, without morals. And I'm certainly not saying all Conservatives or even all MPs. But a lot of the time the leadership goes, is this wrong? And then second, are we going to get caught?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's the main yeah. thing. And that applies to so many policies.
1: Yeah, I was going to say absolutely. The thing is the pro-EU party of the UK? Mm. Um, they were always in the EPP, which is the European People's Party of Europe, and um, and they only left that in twenty fifteen. And also, they no longer stand by conservative values at all. You know. Mm. So
0: here's yeah. a here's a question for you: uh, mm-hmm. Would you rather see uh, the Conservatives elect an absolutely hopeless uh, candidate like Rory Stewart, in my opinion, <laughs> and just? totally disappear and you know the Brexit party replace them or would you prefer them to elect you know a really good Brexiteer who will actually give us more chance of Brexit? Um, I know it's a bit of a difficult one. <laughs> I can tell you my opinion is that I'm, I'm actually quite keen for the Tories to just be annihilated for history.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think the collapse of the Conservative party will come. Yeah. The thing is that Brexit is so important to me that I really want to see us leave on the thirty-first of October, no matter what. That is, you know, my number one wish, and That's what I've been fighting for.
4: If Rory Stewart,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Or, or we'd get, you know, Brexit a name only with May's mm-hmm. deal. Do you so, think?
0: Do you think the Conservatives are beyond saving now? They're just too far gone.
1: Sure, far beyond redemption. Right. And yeah, I mean, at the moment they're trying to pursue a disastrous environmental policy and they are just they're going to ruin um you know british icon which is our beautiful countryside um our landscape with wind turbines to and um you know destroying valleys with high speed railways
0: and the, the the uh wind turbines actually jack up the prices for the poorest people massively so they're really <laughs> yeah. terrible if you care about poor people it's not a good move yeah <laughs> And also, if you're any type of environmentalist, you should hate them. The
2: amount of birds that are killed by those things, and I'm not talking like a seagull every few weeks flies near it and damages its wing. Every day, tens of birds are killed by, by one turbine load. It's ridiculous, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you that, but um, plastic pollution is what's really tangible and actually affecting um, wildlife and animals. But, oh no, instead they're um, yeah. you know, trying to stop climate change which is and something then, that the average person can't change and yeah. instead of peddling all of this you know climate change sort of propaganda, method, yeah, propaganda yeah. they should be actually tackling like no um talking about things that we can tackle as people like cutting yeah. out the amount of plastic that we use yeah. on a daily basis and <laughs> taking yeah. up
0: things like nuclear power as well instead because yeah. it's more effective in my opinion
4: <laughs> well
1: <laughs> oh, are you not? Maybe they
0: you, disagree. Nuclear power. <laughs>
4: um. Yeah.
0: That's fair enough. You don't have to have an opinion on everything.
1: Okay. Um, I think. Well, I don't know. I'm. I'm quite sceptical after Chernobyl and Fukushima. Um, we do. Have- oh,
0: okay. We have some work to do, Sebastian.
2: Well, well, all I'll say is this, and I, I only care about energy because it means I get cheaper Bitcoin mining prices. So you know, that's <laughs> all I really care about. Um. But the Chernobyl thing, yeah. I mean, it was made in, what was it, like a, a fourth world country, you know, a Soviet Union country with Ukraine, very, very dirty um, produce. It, Sorry?
1: Radiation is still very dangerous to... People that work around it and animals, and I know
2: mean, it's very, it's very frightening, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, by my sort of view, and I think the reason France does it so much is so yeah. long as you don't build it on a tectonic plate, which was Japan's big <laughs> problem, you know. Um, and so long as you you put all the regulations in place, it, it can be absolutely okay. The problem is the, the toxic waste, which, as far yeah. as I know, can't be dealt with. That is a genuine problem. But if you want absolutely. cheap renewable energy, I think nuclear is the better way to go. Yeah. Well, so I want to talk about. Um, you, you mentioned the sort of the Brexit party. It's mm. my understanding that at the moment they don't have a manifesto, and I think that will be, unfortunately, a bit of the downfall of the Brexit party because I think you've got all this momentum and you're doing brilliantly.
0: Can I just say I disagree with that because I don't think the average person on the street really cares. Oh, what's in your manifesto? Um, well, they care what you stand for, don't they? I guess so. well What do you think?
1: Well, they are coming up with policies and they're doing it a different way, which is they're going to send out I think some sort of questionnaire to all um, the supporters supporters. and us and then form policy from the bottom to the top so I'm really looking forward to that and I think we could We could be seeing some really interesting policies
4: i
2: think that's really admirable and to be honest that's the way it should go it should be um what do your members actually want and so long as you're very fixated on who your members can be and you don't have infiltrators like what happened with jeremy corbyn then that's fantastic the problem i have is some of the candidates that the brexit party has got forward at the moment uh you've got anne widdicombe on one side and then claire fox who to my understanding is a you know literal communist i can't understand (laughs) how you'd put forward a policy which they both agree on, because even if the members vote and it's democratic, Claire mm. Fox is not going to argue for lowering taxation and building up the military, and Anne Widdecombe not going to, um, you know, vote for and campaign for, you know, an- anti-social conservative issues. So I-, I don't know how you'll keep everybody together. What's your sort of view on that?
1: Well, it is going to be difficult to please people from, you know, complete opposite sides of the political spectrum. But I think it can be done because ultimately we are all united by one thing, which is love for our country and for democracy and and freedom. And that's really the most important thing. So I'm sure everything will work itself out.
0: So do you think the Brexit party will have, you know, things to say in a future beyond Brexit? Once say Brexit is implemented and it's implemented well, you know what does the Brexit party stand for after that?
1: Well we stand for democracy and um obviously there are no policies yet to to scrutinize but mm. I, think, um, I really trust Farad I think he's you know he cares about our civil liberties and once we're out of the EU we will actually be able to start solving all the problems that we've seen in the past few decades um starting with you know reviving British industry such as the steel industry and and One thing that I really love about um, Vauj is that also he's a great supporter of small and medium-sized British businesses and probably introduced a bit of protectionism, which I think is definitely needed in our economy, as well as, you know, he is a free-trade marketer. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, He does free-trade. And also our fishing industry will be renewed once we've left the Mm -hmm. EU, which I'm really looking forward to because I think what's happened to the fishermen has been unbelievable and um
2: i mean you've seen it firsthand haven't you i mean you're up in was it grimsby or when you did your march you must have gone through so many fishing towns
1: yeah it was incredible we we talked to so many people from all over the country when we were marching down and it's incredible how much people um you know feel so betrayed by mm. the fact that we're not going to they have not left yet
0: well, I actually have uh first hand experience of this because uh, I actually be work a fisherman, at, did you Damien? I, I actually work in a chippy on weekends. Um oh, right, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> chippy geezer, they call me, actually. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> embarrassing. Oh, um and funnily enough, I remember when they showed you the introducing forms and it said that basically all their fish was fished in Iceland and basically none of it was fished in Britain whatsoever.
4: Yeah.
0: And I have no doubt that this is because Iceland is not in the EU and Britain is in the EU, which means we have to chuck like lots of our fish away and we can't fish in certain areas.
1: Talking about ecological disasters, the EU has inflicted the absolute worst mm-hmm. yeah. on the planet and you know it's not helped by the fact they've got over 30,000 corporatist lobbies and they only really care after the multinationals and the corporations. Which Farad is actually very much against corporatism. So. I mean, absolutely.
2: They've they've taken away a large swathe of our political, our, our territorial waters. They, I mean, Damien, yeah. you mentioned it. It's first off, it's is is it the right fish? If you don't have a quota for the right fish, you've got to toss it back, even if it's dead. Is it too small? You got to toss it back. Is it too big? You got to toss it back. Um, have, are you over your quota? You have got to toss it back. Uh, it's what a it's huge bad. waste. It's horrible for the environment, and we have to share That's- our own waters. Which, as an island home, we're it's it's one of our great natural renewable resources our island home uh, we've always been a fishing a fishing people and we've got to share that with other countries which um it just doesn't yeah. seem fair i mean if you take iceland use iceland as a fantastic example iceland and we fought the cod war and we may have lost but we'll look the at it. yes only war we've ever lost but yeah <laughs> don't look into that claim no, um, no, iceland
1: i talked to our i'm again. saying um, yeah, they have to fish up and they are allowed to fish right up to our beaches. Absolutely. Is the audio okay? Wondering.
2: I no, I think I think it's me. If I'm talking, I can't hear other people. So just yeah, pretend I'm a deaf grandpa or something. <laughs> <laughs> what Iceland does, which is fantastic, is it has a two hundred mile exclusion zone where only it is allowed to fish. So within mm. within on all of their coins there's some sort of fish. Now that's probably not the smartest idea in the world. And if all you've got, you know, is fish, then perhaps you know. Yeah, you know, anyway, um,
1: we should absolutely have something like that, precisely,
2: we should have an economic exclusion zone where we can provide for our people, we can grow our fisheries, this is an industry which we, sh- we should be leading Europe in and we're, we're massively behind.
1: And also deregulate industry in general, because what the EU have done with all their regulations, they're making it virtually impossible for small and medium sized British businesses mm. to succeed because they're competing against these giant multinational corporations, and they have no chance so, it's, we're going to be so much better economically outside of the EU. And I'm just I'm so confident that Britain has a prosperous future ahead.
3: And so, what's, brilliant,
2: so- what's brilliant is even if you disagree with that and you love regulation, you want more of it and more health and safety jargon and all that stuff, um, mm-hmm. because you're taking back control, you can make that up. So, actually, uh, elections will mean something. So let's say you're you're hugely into regulation. You can put forward a candidate who can actually do something about that. Let's say you want to reduce VAT. At the moment, you can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas when you have somebody in power who has complete control, well, obviously they'd be regulated with checks and balances. That does sound quite bad. Someone with complete control, but we'd be able to decide our own independent destiny without exactly. having bureaucrats who are entirely unelected governing and saying which direction we have to go in. And, and that's
4: this is what
1: it's about. It's about being able to be masters of our destiny
0: freedom freedom,
1: freedom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and this is partly why our steel industry is actually going bust at the moment because um we can't intervene because of the eu's rules on um intervening yeah yeah
1: <laughs> and That's... you know hope to see the british um steel industry once again grow and flourish which can only happen if we're outside of the EU. And it's getting even worse now. Now they're saying that in pursuit of, you know, climate change, they're going to basically um, eradicate all industries that can possibly harm the environment, mm. which is, you know, going to directly affect us. This is a mm. you know, complete nonsense.
2: The steel we were making was, steel is not all the same. There are very low crappy steel basically and there's very good steel. We are making some of the best steel in the world and you need high quality steel for certain beautiful industries. Steel, beautiful, beautiful steel, beautiful steel. Exactly, um, and because we can't step in and because we can't act in what they'd call an uncompetitive manner, um, we cannot save our steel industry. And steel historically, and I think even now, is a strategic resource. So even if you are losing money, which there's no reason why we would need to, even if as a country we are losing money, it's so important that we are making our own steel. If there's a war, if we suddenly need to produce a lot of something or other, you need to have steel. it's the same as this. Let's say for example, you could get cheaper food from abroad uh, on all of your products, and you could feed everybody in the country. Would you honestly give up your entire farm in your country just for slightly cheaper food? Of course, you wouldn't. You, you want your farmers to be employed, you don't want everyone to be on benefits. And if that mm. food resource suddenly cuts off, you don't want your whole country to starve. You want to, I, I think my um, sort of inspiration behind this whole thing is I want Britain to be self-sufficient. I want us to be self-proud, self-encouraging, self-defiant um, and, and self-sufficient to at least a certain degree. We shouldn't be depending on somebody else for our security, our intelligence, our, our this, our that. Defence, the most
1: basic things and we mm-hmm. have no control at the moment. Yeah. And if we, if we were to stay, we'd eventually have to sign up to an EU army, which I mean if our if our forefathers um, forefathers and our ancestors who fought in two horrific world wars to protect our freedoms could see what has happened to britain and and you know how we're being dominated by germany again you know <laughs> their yeah. sacrifice this is you know
4: exactly
2: they that's actually they that's died like, for our freedom
0: that's actually god <laughs> sorry Sebastian. i was going to say that's actually the argument i use to people who go you know why did you vote brexit and i go well um, actually I kind of feel like you know our ancestors fought two horrible bloody wars to gain our independence so I kind of feel that maybe we should keep that independence
1: yeah.
0: and that usually sends them quite silent actually
1: Yeah absolutely and um, earlier um, Sebastian was talking about cheap food and stuff well once we leave the EU, well being part of the EU has mean we've completely left the world of cheap food and once we leave the EU, we'll, we, we will be able to have cheap food because instead of having to prioritise France and Germany and European countries, we'll open our markets to the rest of the world, which yeah, is exactly. the, you know, a huge benefit of finally taking control of our trade and being able to form our own trade deals. And, you know, yeah, the first step is leaving the EU
2: absolutely and and the argument i hear so often about that is if you open the borders to the world of cheap food then your national agricultural sector will just go out of business hogwash what we can do is when we're in charge when we have control we can subsidize our farmers as much as we need so when we want to have our own milk being produced we can subsidize it and people may hear subsidize that means the government's paying for it just wait We are giving the EU every year, I think it's 16 or 18 billion, of which we only get six or eight of that back. So 10 billion a year is going to the European projects, European projects and other European countries.
4: A fraction of
2: that 10 billion could be used to subsidize our farmers. Our our farmers, the the idea that Brexiteers hate farmers is is just ridiculous. I mean, it really is. Most most farmers are Brexiteers, I'd say.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know all the propaganda on television by BBC, where they you know talk to farmers who <laughs> are supposedly pro-EU. It's just yeah. absolute nonsense. Yeah, because when we actually talk to actual like fishermen, farmers, they were all Brexiteers. Mm. You know, and obviously, the BBC is um, biased. It's pro remain They're never going yeah. to um, show the truth. Yeah, the truth basically.
0: Mm. So going back to the Brexit party, um, do you think after Brexit, the Brexit party will basically adopt a sort of Farageist view of politics? Do you think it will kind of be built around Farage's politics?
1: Well, it will definitely be yeah. democratic in the sense that I think a lot of people will have a say in policy and it won't just be Farage, but... In the end, it's yeah. those parties. <laughs> well, no. I not do, but, you know...
2: So um, do you think the current structure is, is temporary then? Because my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that there isn't like a national executive body. There's not like a council inside. It's almost France's way or the highway. Is that going to stay yeah, or is, do you think that's well, temporary?
1: Exactly. It's only a couple of weeks old. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we, you know, it's such a new party. They haven't been able to establish, you know, for, yeah. um, you know, councils and branches and everything. But we will and we will represent the people's voice because the Brexit party is ultimately formed of people from all walks of life who are united upon one thing, which is love for our country. And I think when you've got that fundamental um, shared value, then mm. everything will stem from that in which will benefit our nation.
2: And on the topic of the sort of Brexit party manifesto, or I think Farage wants to call it a list of promises uh, because it doesn't like the word, uh, the word manifesto leaves a dirty taste in his mouth. Um, <laughs> As as uh, let's let's almost talk about identity politics here. As people in your position, uh, you know, what what do you think people your age would like to see in that manifesto? What are the? Let's give me three areas which somebody in your position would like to see from the Brexit Party manifesto.
1: Well, I think freedom of speech is something that's hugely important, especially absolutely,
4: not,
1: and with the internet censorship and things that are happening recently. You know, even boys in my class are beginning to wake up and realise, you know, Rachel meant something seriously wrong, especially um, when the EU are po- oh, trying to pass Article 13. That really, you know, woke up a few people yeah, in my year.
4: Generation. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's definitely one area. Um, possibly educational reform. Um, I'd say also less corporatism. That's yeah. a huge... And I think everyone can see that, that high streets nowadays are just dominated by these big multinational Starbucks. And in almost every single small town all over the United Kingdom, you have these, you know, globalist corporations. And you no longer see small British businesses or family run businesses. It's really sad.
4: And there needs to be an
1: encouragement in
2: school. There needs to be a real focus in school away from this sort of you get these qualifications and then you find a job. There's there's no teaching on how to be an entrepreneur. There's no teaching on how to think entrepreneurially. It's just we're going to mold you into something you will work for some global corporation, you will do their bidding, and then you retire at 85. You know, Um, there needs to be some sort of emphasis and some sort of teaching on first off how to pay taxes, I mean, it's a bloody nightmare. Um, And then how to how to run a business, where to buy produce from, how to support yourself, this focus on becoming a soulless Computer dweller for some corporation mm-hmm. that doesn't care about yeah. you yeah. is well, so unfulfilling.
1: It's complete indoctrination of the youth. I've mm. seen it firsthand. Mm. <laughs> and so it's yeah. mm. also another policy area which we forgot to mention. Yeah, was, is, um, probably the environment. Yeah, and lots of people in our generation really care about the Earth and stuff. But instead of talking about climate change, I think banning plastic should definitely be um, pursued by, yeah. yeah. by the Brexit yeah. party but I think mainly freedom of speech for me. Um, the, you, the UK party right now is really big on freedom of speech. and That's something which I think is really important. And mm. Nigel has already mentioned it, which is quite disappointing. Mm.
3: <laughs>
2: but,
1: um,
0: another thing... I I, bit, I would, oh, sorry, Damien, I've talked too much. Go ahead, Damien. <laughs> another thing um, which is slightly personal to me, which I would like to see a big improvement on, is um, we used to be really good at... Um, the, the government used to be really good at funding apprenticeships and really getting young people especially from poorer backgrounds uh, mm. that little step up and really get them into good jobs where they can actually earn a good living get a house get on in life um, and the funding for apprenticeships has just dropped in recent times and I've seen this uh, because I actually applied for an apprenticeship recently which hopefully I'll get fingers mm. crossed um, and a lot of them were saying a lot of them were saying that um you know I've been struggling to find apprenticeships um this was in to be an electrician um like I, some people have traveled like 50 miles just to go for an interview it's incredible
1: yeah that's unbelievable and you know why I'm almost 100 percent sure that's because of all the cheap labor that's now available in the UK because of being in the EU and you know now it's, it's getting so hard to find um for young people to find jobs when there are you know Thousands of others who will be paid less mm. that, you know, the only the only thing the only group that are ben- that benefit from mass immigration are multinationals and corporations and mm. that's why, you know I find it so strange that the left can't understand that
4: mm. that you
1: know they advocate mass immigration because they want to just virtue signal but the truth is they're siding with mm. the corporations and the multinationals and globalists so And the one thing
2: you'd think the left would really be for, they'd really emphasise for, is the fact that when you have this mass immigration, especially of skilled people, you're robbing these developing countries of some of the most talented people. The argument's Mm -hmm. often made that the NHS wouldn't survive without all the doctors we get from Europe and developing countries. Do you not think those developing countries who don't even nearly have the the, we- the welfare or the health and safety standards we do, do you not think they need doctors? Do you not think they need intelligent, educated people? The reason they're not developing as quick as us is is we're taking a lot of their very brightest and best. That's, that's theft, you know? That's theft.
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually read something recently about, I think it was Romania, that um, is really suffering because all its young people are coming here because there's, you know, better opportunities. For it and You know all these immigrants um come here to benefit from our hard-won hard-won freedom and all the assets we have and obviously i think immigration is a good thing generally we should you know allow people to come and to contribute to our nation but it needs to be controlled because this at this rate this is not sustainable you know
0: well we actually have about a half a million people coming to this country every year now which is really unbelievable (laughs) Uh, yeah. ar- around sort of nine. 90- yeah. uh, that, yeah. that that that's not the net figure. That's the um, the actual figure of people coming. Right. Obviously, there's people leaving as well. Um, but before Tony Blair, really, uh, it was nowhere near that. It was something like a hundred thousand, maybe so tens not- of thousands. tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, exactly. So it not was in- tens of thousands until like two thousand and four, when uh,
2: the EU expanded and a lot of the former communist countries suddenly became members of the EU and and could move freely and since then i don't want to be called out on this but there's a eastern european whose population has literally gone down because i mean imagine you're imagine you're i think it's poland it might be romania or bulgaria but imagine I'm sure you're a,
0: estonia actually it,
2: it I'm, I'm not sure but one of the the former eastern european or sorry, one of the former Uga, um, former soviet countries imagine you're in their position where the minimum wage is one tenth and this is not an exaggeration it might even be more one tenth of what it is in the uk so if you do the exact same job you were doing in romania bulgaria whatever you do the exact same job in britain which there are no barriers to stop you going there you would get a 10 times pay rise any logical person in the world would do that. If I could do the same job in America for 10 times pay, I would think very, very seriously about doing that. So it's, it's never anything against the individual immigrant because it's purely a logical decision. It's against the government policy of open doors, mass immigration with no thought, no appreciation, no consideration for people at the bottom whose wages will stay stagnant. Why on earth would you pay someone above what you absolutely have to? And when these people are willing to work at the minimum wage, I think this is a phrase used by Nigel, the minimum wage becomes the maximum wage, the house prices, when there's more people in the country, you need to live somewhere that's going to drive up demand, that's going to drive up price, our social services, many people who haven't paid into the system are, are using it. And, and even that even if they are paying it, in, and even if the argument is that they pay in more than they take out, when more and more people are using these things, there has to be a breaking point. And that's why I'm so passionate about this issue. It's never against the individual immigrants. Never, yeah. against it. it's yeah. against the system of mass migration. You're yeah. quite a good speaker, Sebastian. You should be a politician. Well, there is a leadership election coming up. Who knows?
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh. yeah, no, absolutely. it should—it should be a privilege to come and to come to Britain, I think. And um, and also another huge thing which isn't happening is integration. Yeah. Yes, you know, um, my mother came here when she was to study her A levels um, from Peru and. You know, she she loved Britain so much. She still loves this country so much, and she's you know, she's such a um, a patriot, which is amazing. And and that seems to have completely disappeared. And instead, people, you know, people don't love Britain who are coming here.
0: Absolutely, and I get this feeling actually. I, I've spoken to a lot of people, especially yeah. running for councillor. I've had to speak to people in at the houses and things that there is this feeling that we've lost something. And we need to go back to sort of a time when, you know, th- things were more common sense in a way. Um, and I've spoken to like a, a veteran and, uh, and I thought I, I was one of the few people who thought this way. But so many people have this feeling like we've kind of lost something. And yeah. one of the yeah. things I find quite interesting, actually, with you is uh, you have a sort of a bit of a, a swinging 60s kind of vibe going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we well, and- We love the culture of the 60s yeah. and the music yeah
0: um, and that and that sort of um that sort of reminds you of a time when britain was sort of more assertive and confident in itself and yeah. so and so i kind of find it uh kind of interesting that you kind of give off that vibe it, it's kind of perfect in a way i don't know if it's on purpose or it's just a happy coincidence
4: oh thank
1: you so much
0: <laughs> but is it just because you genuinely just like uh 60s culture and things like that or
1: yeah absolutely yes, but, um yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know, we're huge fans of the Beatles and the kinks and the music from the 60s and also the fashion. And we we collect vintage clothes from the 60s and stuff. And you know what's great? It's that they're all made in Britain. Yeah. Um, you know, almost all clothes nowadays are made mm-hmm. elsewhere, whether it be China or um, you
0: Bangladesh. Know. Yeah. Gosh.
1: Yeah. It's a shame. So, you know, maybe in the future, once again, yeah. more nice. things will be factored here.
2: And Damien, you talk about this, this old attitude from the 60s where we're more assertive and more proud of ourselves, I guess you could say. I think a large part, and there are many factors, I think a large part of that is this whole political correctness we've got at the moment. So yeah. many people are afraid to be given this, this term of, of racist or sexist or whatever it is. They hold their tongue. It's the silent majority who hold their tongue because they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to you you know, you know, basically get themselves evicted by losing their jobs. It can be so tough. I always think of it as, it's sort of like saying someone has lice. Someone doesn't need to have lice to be accused of having lice. And the second someone says you have the lice, no one associates with you because they don't want lice themselves. Why on earth would you hang out with a genuine racist? Somebody who genuinely hated someone purely for the reason that they were born a different skin color. That sort of person you don't want to be part, of. you don't want to be friends with. But this sort of inflation of swear words that you uh, inflation of of, of um, homophobia and, and sexism and and all these terms, it almost gets to the point where when somebody's called a racist, you just you just ignore it, and even if it's somebody on the street and they might genuinely be an actual racist, you just ignore it and you go, well, it's probably overused, it's fragrant. And if that person's a genuine racist, I want to know. I don't want to go near that person. So
1: yeah, that's so true. That's so true. what the left have done. If they if they um they've degraded these words, yeah. which is. Mm. Super- actually mean something very serious by throwing them around all the time and you know that's it's, it's unbelievable I saw a tweet the other day someone you know calling all brexit party supporters Nazis just thought, you know it's so, so ridiculous, ridiculous. No. it's childish and and you know pe- nowadays people just roll their eyes
2: when I well, see that, when... I just have to wonder: Do they know what the Nazis did? I mean, you can you can make an argument that Brexit Brexit parties don't like this, or you can make an argument that they don't like that. But the Nazis were so much. I don't even need to go into it. But making that comparison they is di- they were pretty bad. Yeah, that the, the comparison is is so no. diabolic. I think it's even insulting to some Jews. It really is, or or Germans, or anybody really.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> that respect. And um, you know, going back to what's happened nowadays with this complete erosion of our national identity and patriotism, um, that is I think mainly because of the EU and its agenda and the fact that, you know, before British people we were all united under values, and you know, that's that's completely erased from modern society. You know, even just you know, basic conservative values such as, you know, the family unit and things like that. No, you know, you won't get our political class talking about that and how important it is that, you know, um, people still believe in the family. Uh, <laughs> and
0: going back to what we were talking about with political correctness and people, you know, calling names, etc. whenever the BBC writes an article and says, you know, this right-wing extremist, this right-wing extremist party, I immediately go, I bet that's not... No, sorry, far right. I bet that's not far right. I bet they're just yeah. calling that far right just mm. because that's how crazy we are now. We'll just call any anything far right.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it's anything that's very intolerant. Yeah, I was just gonna say I think it really instills fear in lots of people because mm-hmm. it's like um, sort of communist Russia <laughs> um, when mm-hmm. pe- n- um, neighbors started calling you know calling each other names and stuff to not be called that like yeah denouncing each other. yeah denouncing yeah. each other. Really. Mm -hmm. and it really that's really what's happening now everyone is calling each other nazis um just a virtue signal really and it's just ridiculous Mm because they're just diluting these words meanings yeah especially when you look at people like David Lammy they are the extremists
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, but he does incite hatred when he speaks terrible
0: terrible white people helping africans how dare they
1: (laughs) and these people come from a place of hate and you can see that because they're so hateful and you know all they do is spout you know vile nastiness and um and we're the ones who actually you know as i said come from a place of love love for our country, love for its people mm-hmm. and respect for our ancestors and you know the freedoms that they fought for in the World Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, I remember actually uh, as I was researching your Twitter feed uh, I saw a tweet um, which said something about the Communist Party actually using this strategy of just calling people names even though that doesn't describe them properly uh, just to basically further their cause, um, mm. so I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Nigel Farage, since uh, you are quite close to him. I understand. Um, what is what is he like to be around as a person? And you know, what do you make of him uh, in particular? I'm sure
1: met him as well, right? Sorry, you both have met him too, right? He's just... I haven't met
0: Nigel. No, I know uh, Sebastian has. He's had a pint with him, but I haven't. No. Yeah, 18th um, birthday, first legal pint. Beat that!
1: <laughs> he's really passionate about but it, it and and you know I really trust him to deliver Brexit if he ever gets in power. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. And yeah, he's really funny and charming and just yeah. Great.
0: Is he quite quite like how you see him um, in front of the can- cameras, or does he sort of mellow down at all? Um, you know. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> because he's quite a passionate person isn't he obviously yeah
4: yeah
1: he's wonderful -hmm.
0: okay so i have our next topic lined up uh i thought we'd talk a little bit about the the drug scandal going on with the tories at the moment because i I think it's quite (laughs) quite hilarious um so just to give some background um we've had esther mcveigh come out saying that she smoked cannabis as a student Mm -hmm. uh We've had Michael Gove and Boris Johnson uh, both say that they've taken cocaine. Michael when he was a journalist, and Boris mm-hmm. when he was at uni. Yeah. And uh, we've also had Rory Stewart. Rory Stewart come out as uh, smoking opium. That's such <laughs> a Rory Stewart drug, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> typical Rory. So hardcore.
1: I That's <laughs> um, good. Is fine. There yeah. There's a huge difference between between cannabis and cocaine. Mm. Yeah. So, Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but I think what bothers me the most about Michael Gove and his, you know, former Coke habit, but we don't really know if he's (laughs) (laughs) the hypocrisy of creating policy banning any, you know, twenty three year old teacher who perhaps, you know, had a bad experience in in his teenage years from becoming a teacher because he wanted Coke. And yet, you know, as a professional journalist when he was in his 30s, taking Coke at dinner parties, I just, no, I don't approve.
2: So you're saying uh... that. them from the the running, do you think it's enough to kick them out?
1: Well, it's difficult because I think that, you know, the majority of Britons and the majority of Conservatives, in fact, um, would never take a Class A drug and do not support drug taking in general. So I don't know if I would feel happy that our Prime Minister um, pro- possibly takes coke. <laughs> not, so so
4: you're,
0: you're telling me you don't think the potential leader of our country should be a coke addict? Is that what you're saying?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Quite quite controversial view, I think. Sure. <laughs> I apologise to anyone who heard that.
1: <laughs> I think actually a lot of people feel the same way. You know, a lot of people think, you know, I've I've never taken Class A drugs, so why should our prime minister have mm-hmm. done that? Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. And is,
0: is um uh, does Michael Gove actually support you know um you know making drugs illegal, or does he support you know because it would be quite funny if he does support keeping them illegal? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I th- I
1: th- not sure. All I know is that he did let um, he did make a policy that banned any former coke addicts from becoming teachers. Mm-hmm. So I don't think yeah. he really drug use. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, also, it's such a bad example to the youth about politicians. Mm. Um, you know, are drug addicts or former drug addicts?
0: It almost um, seems like they were boasting about it. Hey, hey, look at me! I, I take drugs. I'm just like you. It's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> we don't know young drugs. people. <laughs>
1: State of Britain, but now we have politicians flaunting about that. Drug use. I just I'm not happy.
0: How far we've fallen. Yeah, it seems like if you take coke, then you've got the youth uh, vote in the bag, according to them.
1: Well, I was one of my favourite politicians of all time, Tony Benn. And um, you know, he was such an honest man of integrity, and you just don't you don't see that anymore.
0: That's interesting that you mention uh, a Labour politician as one of your heroes, because um, not many people might expect that. Um, And it just sort of proves that it's about the cause rather than you know the partisanship
1: yeah yeah I completely agree with that I think you know originally actually Brexit was a movement from the left and you know until the left suddenly became these virtue signaling Mm. snowflakes (laughs) and um, yeah
2: because Same. Old Labour used to be so patriotic. I mean, you look at Tony Benn, you look at other people like him. Oh, who was the chap that did the incredible speech at the Oxford Union? Uh, it's it's in, on every montage. Tommy
0: Robinson? <laughs>
2: I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but, but Old Labour used to be so patriotic. It was about our workers and perhaps their economic strategy was a bit to be desired, left a bit to be desired. But they cared about this country. And it seems now to a lot of people that New Labour's draft is not so much care about the working man; It's sort of used the working man as a pawn to further international aims, and that's very worrying.
1: That's so true. And one thing Tony Benn said, which I, which I completely agree with, is that um, you know, on a kind of different subject of national laws, the, you know, the further national laws are made from the nation, mm. the weaker democracy becomes. Mm. So, you know, this is yeah i think
2: another one he said was um if you can't vote out the people in charge you no longer live in a democracy which is absolutely spot on
4: true
2: yeah yeah Yeah. i see during the, during the European elections, I saw so many people on my Facebook saying, oh, we're voting in that undemocratic EU then, thinking they're the smartest people in the world. You're not voting for the people who really pull the strings. You're voting for the people who effectively rubber stamp it. Those people who you're voting in uh, have mm-hmm. no way of proposing legislation, no way of granting legislation. All they do is say yes or no. And, Almost entirely, if the commission says we're doing this, if the commission says jump, the parliament says how high. The real power is in the commission, it's in the council, it's in the council of ministers, um, and it's in the ECB if it's part of the eurozone. Um, And all of those are completely unelected, um, which is worrying.
1: The parliament is the most powerless parliament in the world.
4: Hmm.
1: And every time I see an FD on Twitter saying, you know, at least we're having elections, it doesn't (laughs) matter. Every you know, the commission are the ones that initiate legislation, Mm -hmm. and they initiate all legislation completely in secret, Mm. which is something that really you know should strike everyone as is unbelievable.
0: And and of of course, we don't vote for the commissioners, commissioners, do we? Um, So we don't vote for the people who make the laws, which is that basically fails a basic parliament straight off the bat. Mm. And for a parliament with with
2: such little power it's so expensive i mean a huge amount of their budget goes to um one their salaries are absolutely crazy they get what is it travel allowance eating allowance personnel allowance uh, oysters allowance you know all these things. it's ridiculous it really is one of my it's fa- a gravy train one of my yeah, fate
0: sorry yeah. you go
1: you go i was just going to say what angers me the most about this is that this is the hard-earned money coming yeah. from you know the peoples of europe and yet it's being spent on Juncker's salary and his wine. And that just, oh, you know, that, that isn't right. His
0: That's many, right. many glasses of wine, yes. Yeah. Well, one of my favourite things they do, actually, is they actually get all the belongings of the MEPs um, from Brussels and they put it on a train and they take it all the way to Strasbourg in France uh, just, so they, just so they can do more parliamentary work.
1: That's <laughs> really. it needs to change. Mm. Our our United Kingdom should no longer be governed by a group of unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats who we have no power to remove and are therefore unaccountable.
2: And I think that's a fantastic argument against this idea that we should stay in the EU to reform it. When the founding principle and the internal structures are completely based on the idea of unaccountability. I mean, the the books haven't been audited in nearly 30 years. When the entire thing is is undemocratic, when the institutions are undemocratic, when everything is aimed away from the individual and the individual nation state's ideas, and it's towards the sort of collective where, so what if 20% of people really, really hate this idea? We're pushing it through anyway. This idea that we as as one country, not even the largest, and only having, what is it, 11% of the influence, I just think it can't happen. And that's why we need to go our own way. We need to control our own affairs. We need to be um, in in control of our own destiny. And that's what Brexit's about. It's it's choosing our destiny. And as I said earlier, if you want to go down the, uh, let's say, the left-wing route, we can do that and we can actually, we can nationalise the railways if we want to. Jeremy Corbyn could not do that if he was in the EU. If we want to, I don't know, anything else, if we have control, we can do what we want. It's about freedom. Who's against freedom? Come on. (laughs)
1: Fascist. Yeah. EU um, <laughs> is completely unreformable. Yeah. You know. Um, people have worked there have said so. Like Marta Andreasen, she was yeah, the ours, EU's yeah. chief accountant. And she spoke about the corruption that she witnessed there in a book she wrote called Brussels And just how many millions of, you know, our taxpayers' money goes to waste every year. Goes completely missing. She found between 2000 and 2001. 200 million euros and even as chief accountant the she had no power mm-hmm, at all to change.
4: yeah
1: wow that was truly shocking and you know and the main problem with the eu is the fact that it is not an intergovernmental organisation it isn't governments working together as you know mm. they want to, they want to peddle. that isn't what it is it's supranational it is a group of unelected bureaucrats ruling over the countries of europe who aren't elected so you know this whole idea that it's us all cooperating together you know mm. i would I would love a Europe of sovereign nation states working together, trading together. But that isn't the EU. The EU is not Europe. It is a separate entity which has mounted a takeover. Yeah, Exactly. There's actually
2: Nowhere a famous... Go um, ahead, Go. There's,
0: there's actually a famous Russian dissident who said one of the most perplexing things for him is the EU and Europe's attempt to recreate the Soviet Union.
1: <laughs> That's basically where we're headed. You know, yeah. especially censorship and what's shocking is that even now there are various websites that I found I can't access because I'm in the European Economic Area. I was trying to look at something I mean I'm sure if you can type it up it'll happen to you as well. I was uh, trying to type up something to do with you know globalism and Hillary Clinton and the global government and I was banned access from it you know, it's unbelievable. It's just really suspicious as it's, well. <laughs> it, is, it makes, I showed it to people in my school. I said, you know, have you tried to access this website? And it's so <laughs> it's
0: Um, Sebastian, do you want to start um getting up some comments from the feed? Um, I've, I've
2: had a look. We'd invite everybody now. If you're watching the feed live, please do put a question in the comment because we've had a couple, but we've relatively answered them. So if you do have a question, which you'd like us to talk
0: about, please do uh, send it in now and I'll get it and I'll ask it. Yeah. Um, before we do that, though, uh, I wanted to ask you quickly. Um, you've been quite supportive of um, Carl Benjamin, aka Sargon of Akkad. Um, you know, um, how did you get to meet him, and uh, what do you think of him in general?
1: Oh, he's he's a great guy. I really, really do support yeah. him. We first met him outside Parliament, where um, he wanted to interview us, yeah, and then we, in, yeah, and, then and and then from then we you know got in touch with him, and we still how the mainstream media trying to smear him completely mm-hmm. and you know and yeah. yeah and made up so many like, rumors about yeah. him and lies yeah. and twisting his words and yeah
0: and it seems like there's a bit of a free speech movement uh, spearheaded by um Carl Benjamin but also obviously people like Jordan Peterson and uh who else? There's plenty of them around, but I'm struggling to think off the top of my head. Sam Harris. Sam uh, Harris. Dave Rubin, yeah. obviously. Dave Rubin, yeah. Can't so do, do, do you um, keep up with a lot? It seems like you keep up with a lot of these people and are quite interested in this movement. Is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. Freedom of speech is the most important and fundamental liberty we have. And once that starts being wrote, mm-hmm. as it has been with these hate speech laws and discrimination where we're Being stopped um, from saying what we want to say and doing what we want to do I think that really that's very concerning
0: okay uh Sebastian do you have uh questions ready because I've got two I can give you in the meantime Uh, I I can't find any questions, so go ahead. But I just wanted to add on to
2: uh, what was said. I think the reason Sargon's done so well and got so many people behind him is not because he had a bunch of subscribers before they started. It's because he was unapologetic and he didn't back down. When they went for his family, when they went for his livelihood, when they went for his his character, when they went for his life, he didn't give up and he didn't say, I'm sorry. And he didn't relent. He said, no, you know what? You are wrong. I am right you do not have the moral higher ground you are not my judge and you haven't seen that before in politics so often in politics it's so much easier just to to try and sweep it under the carpet and maybe for a couple days in the media you're called silly words but you've apologized so so it goes away eventually but carl's he's he's determined he's willing you know what you can attack me you can attack my family i don't like it but What I'm fighting for is so much more important than just me. It's the free speech of everybody in the country. I mean, Damien and I know a person from Young Independence who was kicked out of their university for sharing his opinion. And it wasn't even a particularly controversial opinion, but he was kicked out of his university. That should not be happening. It was about halal meat.
0: It was about halal meat. (laughs) Basically (laughs) kicked out of vegan. And (laughs) just just so everyone's aware, that is the university, University of Central Lancashire, I believe. Uh, so don't go to that uni you plan yeah <laughs> you plan yeah yeah well,
4: that's, that's terrible
0: but we have some good news um he well am i allowed to say the sebastian uh, uh i think keep it keep it private for now. okay Just i'll keep case. it private but uh yeah, yeah you we've we've got some ideas but um <laughs> we take care of our own <laughs> we we yeah we look after our own put it that way um Okay, uh, so before we move on to the YouTube questions, I actually have a couple questions which I can fire at you right now from um, YI, which is the youth wing of UKIP. Um, yeah, great. Actually, I'm, sorry, I've already, i just realized I've already asked the Carl Benjamin one. So thanks, um, uh, yeah. Jacob, for that. Uh, what's your favorite takeaway, Indian or Chinese?
4: <laughs> oh, that's so
1: cool. I love both. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, I feel like you can be up for it. I mean they're both amazing. We love we love Japanese food too. Yeah.
0: Japanese. That's interesting. <laughs>
1: it's like ramen soup. It's really good.
0: <laughs> what about you, Sebastian?
2: What's your favorite takeaway? <laughs> uh, I, uh, you caught me off guard. I wasn't prepared to answer such difficult questions. Um I I like Uh, Indian's quite nice I like a
0: butter chicken nice spicy I'm sorry not so spicy butter chicken yeah okay I think I'm not gonna have to go for Indian uh so shout out to the Indians watching the stream I know Ranveer Salman I know you're watching so shout out to you (laughs) um do we so do we have any YouTube questions Seb I have had a look and I
2: really can't see any um Yeah, I've I've got somebody who's just asked again, Chinese or Indian question, a bunch of other ridiculous questions, but we have got a good one here from Jerome. I'm not even gonna try and pronounce your second name, but Jerome has said, what are your thoughts on the BBC? You did touch on this earlier, but if you could just expand, that would be much
1: appreciated. Yeah, hi, Jerome. Thank you for your comments on my Twitter, by the way. I really appreciate them. So with the BBC, I think, you know, obviously they are a completely biased organisation and what's even worse is that they still claim to be impartial yeah. which is pretty unbelievable considering they're basically just propaganda and i think what's worse is that we actually pay we still pay a license fee a tv license fee which i don't anymore we don't pay anymore mm. but you know people still do and now they're trying to impose it on Over 75. yeah which is unbelievable
2: what i think is is really worrying about this whole situation is i hate the BBC. I really, really hate the BBC. Some of the things they do, which aren't news are okay, like Doctor Who, five years ago was all right. It's not any good anymore. But I mean, five years ago, it was quite good. Um, And a few other shows. The problem I have is, although I'd love to get rid of the sort of news section, because it is so horrendously biased, I fear that when you got rid of that, you'd effectively get rid of the whole BBC. And I wouldn't even mind that especially. And I didn't really have a dog in the fight until I watched the pensioners complain about losing their um, license uh, having to pay a license fee in the future. Um, a lot of these people are horrendously lonely and elderly loneliness is such a, a huge issue which isn't talking isn't talked about the idea of waking up day after day and perhaps your husband or wife has died and and you have effectively nothing to do and, and potentially no one to talk to. Um, so having the BBC something that they've grown up with, that they've known all their life, they can just sit in front of the TV and watch their heart's desire. And sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's educating. Um, I, I think that sort of a service has to exist for them. But we've got to do something about the horrendously biased coverage on some of the news. I mean, I mean, what do you what, what do you sort of say to that sort of thing? I, don't I don't
4: really agree
1: absolutely. absolutely. Um, yeah, it's oh. so important that news once again becomes impartial. And that I think quality of programs also starts to <laughs> need yeah. to. Also, for our generation. Yeah. Because lots of people our age are always on our phones, and then when they read the news, it's it's biased. And it's, yeah. lots of people yeah. are very misinformed, mm-hmm. especially with the whole project fear. Yes. But, um, you know, almost every young person in my school was saying how leaving all no deal would be catastrophic. Yeah. <laughs> So
0: you're, you're quite adamant for no deal aren't you obviously um so why do you why do you think that um no deal is the only real option now as opposed to maybe getting some sort of deal
1: yeah. the eu isn't going to negotiate with us you know they want um withdrawal agreement yeah, yeah. the new U- european treaty yeah, treaty. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So. and it's it's disgraceful we can't um, that's on a real Brexit. So I think the only option for us is to leave without a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm so confident that we will be able to survive and then even thrive without with um, mm-hmm. on WTO terms. And i just realised we're on 1%. So.
4: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Jolly good. And while you're, while you're doing that, what I really want to uh, sort of expand on is we've talked about the BBC and that's a huge issue. Mm-hmm. One of the other issues that you're seeing at the moment with online free speech and freedom of expression is it is coming from the corporations rather than the government. Now, the BBC is obviously partially governmental, but also there's a sort of separation of powers there. But what's essentially an an entirely um, corporatist, uh, Mm. sorry, the the way that free speech is being eroded via only corporations is when you see with Facebook and Twitter and things like that, there's a huge argument going on at the moment um, between Uh, about censorship and what you should and shouldn't be able to say. And I'm sure you've looked into it um, a great deal, or at least you've heard about it. What is your sort of view? Because there's a view that we should um, sort of break down Twitter into various other things. We should regulate it. We should let them do what they want. Where do you sort of fall on the spectrum?
1: Well, we think that if these, you know, giant tech um, companies are going to start acting as publishers, specifically choosing what they want to have on their website, then they should face the legal consequences of that. And they shouldn't be allowed to just yeah. ban people with a differing political opinion and instead promote diversity of thought mm-hmm. um that being said there are also new sites coming up like BitChute and parlor which promote um freedom of speech so i'm sort of starting to move to those platforms but it shouldn't be us to have, um, it shouldn't be up to us to have to move i think mm-hmm. the government should definitely put pressure on these companies the yeah. trump and even our government especially
0: Um, because these companies are describing themselves as uh, platforms rather than publishers and so they have a duty to you know (laughs) allow people to speak freely Um,
1: and I think I would would recommend that everyone um, goes to Breitbart News and and learns news from there because they are a great news outlet I highly recommend
0: you, you have a podcast coming out with uh, Dellingpole at some point soon, don't you? I think I saw a picture. Is that right? <laughs>
1: um, no, no, we don't, we don't. Oh, okay,
0: don't. I, I saw you pictured with James Dellingpole, so I presume yeah. that you maybe did a podcast with him.
1: Oh, no, we, we made a film with him that he was posted on Breitbart, where he interviews us briefly, and it was amazing. It was at the um, Democracy Rally um, in London for the Brexit party. It was great
0: yeah james james stellingpole is a really good uh, journalist actually i really really enjoy his podcast i know that's by the by but uh anyway um, well i
2: think um a good question raised and it's funny because when you mentioned um migrating to bit shoot, part of my brain just sort of thought you'd be migrating your channel and then i remembered of course you don't have a channel and then the next question was why don't you have a channel so in the future will we see a grant sisters Source or news feed or or I don't know comedy channel. Who knows? Will, will we see anything like that in the future?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I was preoccupied with exams, but now I have this summer, so we can actually yeah, we do should, one we, now. Should, we should. We should. We should. Actually, <laughs> we it, it will definitely be on shoot mm-hmm. because. Yeah,
0: you, you have to credit us with your, um, your new channel. Obviously, uh, so. So we inspired you. Uh, so.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe definitely do that. Okay. Everyone
0: should stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I've, I've been looking through the feed and you're right, I haven't had, found many questions as such, but I have had a comment here which says uh, one of the biggest problems we have is wage wage stagnation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the so-called average salary used to be enough to buy a house. Now houses cost 10 times or more than that figure.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's a huge problem. And um, yeah, again, it, again, it's probably due to the EU and corporatism and, yeah.
0: And and immigration, of course,
1: yeah, of course yeah. Ma- mass
0: immigration, I should say.
1: We're a small island; we really don't have enough space. And instead of trying to solve the actual the root of the issue, which is the influx of thousands and hundreds of thousands of um, migrants, our government wants to instead build on our beautiful English countryside, which isn't no. a solution at all. So no. um,
0: yeah, and Another thing I would like to see is um, obviously there's people suffering in the Middle East like the Yazidis and people like that Um, I think there's nothing wrong with giving preferential treatment to say Christians in the Middle East who are are suffering Uh, I would like to see more attention paid to who we let in as well as like defined by culture as well as just you know have you got a degree and things like that And
1: also true true refugees suffering political persecution, should of yeah. course be granted asylum, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. Yeah. And um, I think what also really should strike everyone and should really concern everyone is that if you look to our European neighbours, you can see France and Germany suffering um, because of mass immigration. And we really, and you know, France at the moment with the Gilets Jaunes, we really don't want that for our country and that's the direction we're heading at this mm. continues. So mm. everyone that's should be great. concerned.
2: One good question I've just seen on the fees, which um, I don't think you've ever uh, answered before, is do either of you see yourself with a future in politics? Or is this sort of just something you've been caught up in? Or is it something which you might have long-term ambitions in?
1: Yeah, um, well, we'd like to have a proper job first. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I think it it just depends. I mean, politics, I think, is always going to be a huge part of my life because it's it's the most important thing, really. Um, and I love my country very much so you know but if we are able to leave and if you know I think yeah I mean it's difficult.
2: I suppose it's something you just have to see about really I mean if if you said now yes we definitely want to be politicians that's all we want to be I mean you'd effectively be career politicians and we've got far too many of them and part of the reason so many people love Nigel is he he obviously always cared about politics and always cared about his country but for him it was i'm gonna get a job and it's only when i cannot take it anymore then i must do something about politics it's it's not
4: yeah, me wanting
2: power it's not me wanting money it's me wanting to change the direction of the country yeah
4: that's exactly what i think yeah that's how
2: you you, you need that that motivation you have to ask yourself when you see a politician the, the question i ask is why are they there is it because their dad was a politician is it because yeah they left university and became a special advisor immediately or is it because they really cared about these issues you know what i mean and you can clearly see that that was the case with nigel uh, and although he's left us i mean I, i'll always have respect for him
1: yeah i was gonna say so many politicians are so removed from life outside of london mm. and it's really such a shame, shame because you can tell yeah. that they really don't know um what's going on of the country and, you know, um, when we went around for, you know, the Brexit march and everything, we could really, you know, see how other people are living and-, and yeah. yeah, and what was shocking is that, you know, these people, the, their vote is, you know, the only thing they have mm. in the sense that um, they're only, mm-hmm. they're, their voice. And it was just so heartbreaking to see how um, they, they're so angry that yeah. it's being been betrayed because, you know, these people, they live very modest lives. And just the fact that, you know, a group of, Westminster career politicians are stamping all over their democratic vote yeah Absolutely. Okay.
0: okay I've got another question for you um this is uh apart from Nigel Farage uh which other Brexit uh party members do you admire
1: oh so many I um well which to...
0: one which ones do you like the most <laughs>
1: also ann widdicombe of course she's fantastic and such an inspiration to us because yeah she's such a powerful woman and yeah and um yeah we love her and yeah so where do i begin ban habib
2: did (laughs) you get a chance to meet ann widdicombe on the campaign trail
1: oh no no unfortunately we didn't get to meet him in person but maybe Maybe. yeah maybe maybe (laughs) in (laughs) future yeah and um i think you know the most incredible thing about the Brexit party MEP candidates is that they're all such fantastic successful people um who really love this country and believe in what they're fighting for which is you know something that pol- politics has really lacked recently in the UK which is you know people who aren't just there to become you know prime minister or you know career politicians mm. driven by a hunger for power mm. and money but instead ordinary people who believe in something who you know worked hard their whole life and are prepared to to give up or well, not to give up, but to give up. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know to make a change yeah. to their lifestyle to are exactly. see- they yeah.
0: sacrificing so much. One of, the, one, one of the things I find so fascinating is how the Labour Party used to really represent working class Brits and you'd get mm-hmm. working class Brits um, um, as candidates for the Labour Party and it seems like they're so cosmopolitan middle class nothing compared to what they originally stood for and i find that just incredible
1: you know the Labour party has completely abandoned the working classes Mm -hmm. it's it's unbelievable and i think this is this has been the case i think since Blair it's yeah it's it's really sad Mm. yeah probably before there, but
0: <laughs> i have yeah. I have a brilliant question here, which is uh why are you guys so patriotic
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um for me it's just because I think you know I feel so privileged to have been born in Britain, and you know we have such an amazing culture yeah. and history, mm-hmm. and you know the best band in the world is British <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and we have so yeah. many amazing writers and artists yeah, as yeah well, absolutely from yeah. Edmund Wall, Ian Forster, Nancy Metford, yeah. Shakespeare, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this um, is the coolest flag in the world <laughs> it is the coolest
4: <laughs> definitely yeah, yeah we're it. we're we're
0: pretty um we're a pretty stylish nation as well, like we've, we've uh, given birth to a lot of interesting movements whether it be you know mods, punks and things like that, we're pretty inventive as a country aren't we? Yeah.
1: Completely and um, the British people are so strong-hearted and strong-willed yeah. and they are just the best, mm-hmm. I mean I think British character is something that I hope this country never loses because mm-hmm. during two world wars which brought a country to its knees yeah. people still stood up and fought. And you know whether on the front lines or at home, um, everyone we saw—you know—true community spirit and the true British spirit was kept alive the whole time. I'm just more of that. I
0: love Steve going back to
2: the history books and you see the pictures of the Blitz and you see the people whose houses are being destroyed while the photo is being taken. And they're lying down in the tube and they're singing songs and they're playing games and they've got smiles on their faces. If that happened today, my house is being destroyed. I haven't got any Wi-Fi connection. Bluetooth's not working. You know what I mean? Hmm.
4: Um, <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. The character that was there, you absolutely hit the nail on the head.
1: Oh, yeah, it's,
4: that's-
2: it's incredible. It's the stiff, upper lip. stiff oh. upper lip. And it worries
0: me that we're losing that.
1: Mm-hmm. That you know, with oh, the internet. Well, the, the the
0: thing I would the oh. th- the thing I would comment on that briefly is that I think that we do tend to think that these people in the media um, are more representative of, of of the country as a whole. When in fact, I feel like it's a minority who have really um, given us this political correctness and you know, Britain is not a good thing kind of idea. Um, I I think if you look, if you travelled across the country, you'll find that that is quite a minority view.
4: Mm.
0: But the thing is, we're we're totally getting misrepresented by the media and things like that.
1: That's very true. There are so many young people who still feel patriotic Mm -hmm. and, you know, who love their country, love Britain. And, you know, as long as we still exist, as long as our voices can be heard, it's never going to die. That's patriotism and love for our country. And you know, eventually political correctness you know will bore everyone to yeah. death because it's no problem yeah, society exactly. where you can't say what you think and you know and you're too scared to offend someone and I think what these people have done, you know the people peddling the political correctness agenda, they have taken advantage of the Brit- of British natural tolerance for others yeah. Yeah. to make so we now have to be you know almost now we, we become intolerant to people with other views. And I think diversity of opinion is one of the most important things, um, you know, so, and that's being raised by these people.
0: Well, there's actually, studies been done, I think, where it's actually showing that Generation Z, or the Zoomers, as I like to call them, uh, are actually a lot more sort of patriotic and right-wing than previous generations, like millennials. Um,
4: so yes. I think... wrong oh, with millennials? <laughs>
0: But I I think, like the work that people like Sargon are are putting in, is actually having quite an impact. And people like Paul Joseph Watson as well, really sort of sending that message through that, you know, Britain in the end is a good idea, and we should be proud of ourselves. You know,
1: probably just the fact they all drink (laughs) soy. But you know,
0: yeah,
1: our generation is really really like is realising yeah. that patriotism isn't extreme as yeah, the left absolutely. Likes, you know, well, I think what think, hap- You know. This is what happens when you take away or when you yeah. try to take away people's national identity. They will rise up and reclaim it, which is what mm. the movement is and what, what's happening all over Europe.
2: Yeah. I, I think there there has been a vacuum in many young people's lives and and what Damien says, the polling data is is very much in agreement with, with Damien here. Um, I think a lot of people in this world with instant gratification—they've got their phones. They're they're losing connection and losing touch with their with their friends, effectively, and with what being a child is all about. You know, people were expected to be adults by um, you know by by eighteen. You know, many years ago, maybe even sixteen. Now, you know, you can basically be a child until you're thirty-five. You know, because your parents are going to take care of you, the state's going to take care of you, whatever. Also, the also the part of your life where you had to you had to be self reliant and self-dependent and and now when you see the playgrounds and when you see the the areas that children inhabit they're completely mollycoddled there's foam everywhere the idea of the speck of danger has been completely removed from so many aspects of life um People sort of feel that they haven't had a proper childhood, they've never risked anything, they've never they've never almost done anything, and they feel this void of 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 community. And so when they see people passionately standing up saying, I love this country, and this country is part of me, it's part of my fibre, part of my being, I think that can and does appeal to so many people. The idea that we can all stand side by side, we can all be friends under one flag mm-hmm. is oh, it just yeah. makes me That's feel awesome. all tingly. <laughs>
1: No, that's so true, Sebastian, yeah. that's what patriotism is about, it's about, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, what your skin colour is, um, you know, or political ideology even, it's about standing under a flag and just being, and just loving your country, and I think that's such a good thing. Yeah, and wanting what's best for it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey,
0: hey. Well, well. <laughs> Um, I have two questions for you here, actually. Um <laughs> What what do you like most about Britain? And also, what is your favorite blend of tea? Oh,
1: that's oh such that's a nice difficult one. one. Wait, sorry, what was the first one? <laughs> <laughs> what what Are you going
0: to go for the tea tea first or Britain? Oh, um, i
4: us answer the tea yeah. again. Well,
1: um <laughs> so, so me would be probably
0: Earl oh, Grey. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs>
1: No, yeah, is the best. Just, you can't go wrong.
2: <laughs> do you ever go into sort of other teas? Or is it just or is it L Grey every time every time of the day?
4: It's
1: classic Practice tea. Yeah, it's classic. Mm. Um gosh, there's so many. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan
2: yes. of Roy Bosch. What do you think?
1: I don't think I've never tried that.
2: Or, or red bush is it's sometimes called.
4: Oh yeah, I didn't know that.
2: You speak Never a had that different language. Mm-hmm. Oh, Damien, come on! Well, you're a working class geezer, so you, 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 know, you just pick yeah, PG P- don't you? PG <laughs> tips, mate. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's really strong.
4: Yeah.
1: We have family in the north, so.
0: Well, it's a it's a classic British uh, tradition, the the cup of tea, isn't it? So, yeah, we need to preserve it and honour it, really.
4: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got our teacups. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, and did uh, you... The uh, Scottish tradition. Good yeah. bit of whiskey. Yeah.
1: Oh. Straight, straight from
2: it? the bottle, right, Sebastian? Oh. No, <laughs> you would never drink it straight from the bottle. I've got my <laughs> little whiskey stand here, but maybe maybe for another episode. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: we have, we have um, family from all over Britain, Scotland, Ireland as well. Actually, probably not Wales, but <laughs> maybe. Hmm. <laughs> mm
0: am i right in thinking your dad is scottish
1: um he's english scottish and a bit of irish blood as well oh
0: wow that's quite a mixture
1: yeah, yeah from all over the <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay um well i think maybe we can bring this uh stream to a close unless you have anything uh you want to say particularly
1: it's been really great talking to you too thank you so much for having us thank you
0: thanks it's great to have you on um I've been following you for a while, and yeah, I really, even though, you know, we come from different parties, you know, we all want the same thing. And yeah, we should fight together in the trenches. (laughs) And uh, that's how it's gotta be. Isn't that right, Sebastian?
2: Damien's absolutely right. He's hit the nail on the head as he often does. What's so admirable is we're effectively, in competing parties, but we can come together and we can discuss and we can talk. And this is how the political spectrum should really be people from parties, which are similar parties, which aren't similar, they come together and they discuss their differences, they talk amongst each other, they break bread. And so often at the moment, you don't see that happening. You see people tearing into each other. And there's, yeah. there's no dialogue anymore. So can I just say, and I know I speak for Damien here, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thank
1: you. We're fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. And we'll never give up. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm very optimistic about the future. So, yeah.
4: Fantastic. Great.
1: We'll see you later. Bye.
4: Bye. Bye.